0: So, again, we're in this series called My Best Church Life, and we're kind of uh, evaluating this year. Um, Every year, we go back to our our five Jesus roots, if you're familiar with those, gather, group, grow, give, go. We focus on them for five weeks, this week, six weeks. This time, we're kind of taking the take, well, what does it look like to be doing these things, to be growing in our faith in a a church that is rapidly growing like ours? So, I'm just curious, a quick show of hands. About 10 years ago, we used to worship in a church maybe you have seen across the street there. That actually was our former building that we worshiped in. How many of you were around back then to worship in that building? You'll notice my hand is not up because I was not here. Um, yeah, a number of you, you you've you worshipped in that building. Uh, if you try to go in there now, it's a, a carpentry area. It's a, a wood shop, so uh, we're not going to be worship, going back to worship there. Uh, three years ago, we just moved into our new downtown campus at the core, um, and, and things are going wonderful. We now have total membership for our two campuses, 3,150 people, which is crazy, uh, growing so rapidly. And for a lot of people have said this, Our church is just kind of feeling a little different. It feels way different today than it did 10 years ago. And sometimes that's hard to cope with. That's hard to to adjust to. So what does it look like in the church we have now to have your best church life? That's what we're kind of unpacking in this series. So let me start by asking you a question. How many of you would like to grow in your faith? Oh, hopefully every hand comes up. Um, that's kind of a silly question, isn't it? Uh, we I just started a new starting point group that's for people who are relatively new to our church. And I asked them, why are you? Why, why did you come back to church or why are you coming to church? Because for some of them, it's their first time ever. And why why did you join starting point? And almost to a T, they say, I, I just wanted, I thought it was time to pay more attention to my faith walk. I thought it was time to, to start growing in my faith more. So I started coming to church and I, I, I came to starting point. And I bet all of you would probably say the same thing, even no matter where you are in your walk, maybe you're, you're 80 years in, with, in your walk with God, and you say, but I still would like to grow in my faith. That's what this series is all about. Who wouldn't want to grow in their faith? How would you like to grow in your knowledge and your confidence that God knows you, God loves you, God sent his son in human flesh 2,000 years ago here for you. He lived a perfect life for you. He died on a cross and rose again on the third day. Your your debt is gone. Your sin is forgiven. You are right with God. He smiles upon you. Eternal life is yours. Do you want to know that even better? you want to be even more confident in that? And everybody says, well, yeah, of course. Love to know that even more. That has also a profound impact on your daily life, too. And when you have this faith growing, when your connection to Jesus is stronger, The Bible promises us that we also are growing in our fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit grows in our life. And if you read in Galatians chapter 5, that means more joy. Could you use that? More peace, no matter what you're going through, to be at peace. Could you use that? More kindness, more gentleness, more self-control. Could you use more? Oh, no, Pastor, I've got total self-control in every area of my life. Why would I need more? Said nobody ever, (laughs) right? There's some area in your life you need more self-control, and that's one of the fruit of the Spirit that grows as our connection to Jesus is stronger. We want to be growing in our faith. But here's the thing. Just like in every area of your life, if you want to grow, if you want to see change, then you have to do something, and you have to do something different. If you, you've heard this, right? That the definition of insanity is that you keep doing the exact same things that you were doing, but you expect different results. That's insane. If you do the same thing, you're going to get the same thing. So if we want to grow in our faith, we need to start doing something different. Um, that's true if in, in your financial life. If you want to get control of your finances and have financial security and independence, that means you've got to make a plan, you've got to keep a budget, you've got to spend less than you make, and, and et cetera. And, and over time, you're going to see the benefits of that. Or, or maybe a better example this time of year, if you, if you want tomatoes and cucumbers and, and sweet corn in the fall, you've got to do something, preferably in the spring cultivate some land and and make sure it's well fertilized and plant some seeds and water it and weed it. And and then this time of year, there will be a lot of fruit for you, won't there? There There'll be a lot of fruit of your crops from your garden that you've planted earlier. But you have to work at it. You got to do something. And God would say the same thing about us growing in our faith. Now, let me be clear. We don't grow our own faith. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Just like we don't grow a tomato plant, you, you can Plant the seed, but you can't make it grow yourself. The Holy Spirit is the one that grows faith in our hearts. But can we plant? Can we water? Can we create an environment where the Spirit works? And the answer is yes. And that's what this series is all about, My Best Church Life. So my encouragement to you is for each message in this series to see if you can pick out at least one thing That you can do your personal one thing, your personal plan for implementing, putting into practice something that you learned in the message or in the sermon that you haven't been doing. It might be enhancing something. It might be taking something to the next step or the next level. It might be doing something new that you've never done before. But what will your thing be? Now, you might have to go back a couple weeks and review uh, what was talked about in those first two sermons. But what will be your big takeaway from each one of these messages? And I encourage you to have one for today as well. Now, the truth is, uh, God is richly blessing this ministry, and you look at uh, the crowd of people that are here at a 9 a.m. service, this is after we got the kids left, uh, so many people who join us here, uh, our downtown campus has record numbers of people coming, uh, people joining us online, hundreds of people every Sunday, we're glad you're here, thank you for joining us online. Um, we're, We're a growing church, and that means that we can do worship time like this in a very excellent way. We can, we can afford some nicer cameras and some better screens and some amazing gifted musicians serve us every Sunday, and that's pretty awesome. Worship is good. Worship is awesome. This time together is so good, and I leave a service like this uh, feeling so uplifted, and I pray that you do also, but this, this isn't enough, and God says so too, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. As good as this is and as inspired as you might get from a service like this, this alone is not enough. And honestly, that is news for some of us. If you were like me, you grew up in a church where it was pretty much just a Sunday thing, maybe a midweek Bible class, but as long as you came to church every single Sunday, you would check the box, you would not get called by an elder, as long as you were in church, pretty much weekly, all was good and you must be growing in your faith. That was my story anyway. But the truth is, as we dig into Scripture, we're going to see that that alone is not typically enough for a faith to continue growing. That there are other aspects that are needed for growing in our Christian faith, and one of the ones that I'm going to unpack for you today is what we call our group root. And the truth is this. If our church, as large as it is, if it's going to remain healthy, if we want our church to continue to grow larger... At the very same time, we have to be very intentional about helping our church grow smaller. Yep, you heard me right. Sounds strange, right? In order for our church to grow larger or to be healthy at a large size, at the very same time, we have to be very intentional about our church growing smaller. For our church to grow larger, it has to keep growing smaller. We have to work on our individual personal relationships with one another. It's so easy to get lost in a big church, to come in on a Sunday, go back out, come in with the crowd, go out with the crowd. You don't talk to anybody. You don't notice anybody. How do we stay a small church even as our church is getting bigger? And some of you have felt this tension. This church doesn't feel like it did 10 years ago. I don't know everybody as intimately and closely as I used to. Well, how do we do that? How can we continue to be a small church even as we keep getting bigger and bigger with over 3,000 members? We're going to unpack that in our message today. So I've got uh, something from the Old Testament I want to share with you, something from the New Testament I want to share with you, and and, and, um, I hope you leave today with a new to-do item, something that you want to do to put into practice to help our church grow smaller as we continue to grow larger. So first of all, I want to share something uh, about Moses from Exodus chapter 18. So Moses was called by God. He was... Uh, The leader of a a nation, which many scholars estimate to be about two million people, he helped lead the people out of Egypt, and and now he is their leader. They are looking to him for instruction and the laws of God and to resolve disputes. One man serving two million people. And he was putting in long, hard hours, 80, 100 hours a week, morning till night, working, working, working. And the people weren't being served, and he wasn't getting the job done, and he was getting stressed. And so his father-in-law, whose name was Jethro, sees what's happening, and he's got some really great advice for Moses In fact, I wonder if if Jethro maybe had his MBA because he seems to be a pretty smart business guy. He knows how to structure and organize things and he's got some ideas for Moses that I think are applicable for us today as well. So in Exodus 18, verse 14, it says, why do you, Jethro talking to Moses, why do you alone sit as judge? While all these people stand around you from morning till evening, Moses, why are you doing this by yourself? There are people who arrive here at 6 a.m. at the crack of meat with as many people as you can. Um, It gets, the, the sun is setting. It's getting dark. People have to go home. Some of the people who came in the morning still haven't seen you and they have to go home and get in line again the next day. This is not a tenable situation. This isn't good. So Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Stop trying to do it yourself. Moses says, well, I'm, I'm God's appointed leader. I, he revealed his law and his will to me. I need to share it with people and their individual, personal circumstances and struggles. That's just the way it needs to be. And Jethro says, no, it doesn't. I've got a better way, a better way for you and a better way for them. So he says this, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Okay, so you're looking for some capable men, And he describes what those men should be like. Moses, here are the kinds of managers you're looking for. They should be strong businessmen, proven leaders in their particular fields who have developed businesses from the ground up and are shown to be capable, good managers with a strong business sense. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, yeah, they should be capable, but what are the criteria? Fear God. Okay, they gotta be men of faith, Absolutely critical. Not we can't. That's a non-negotiable. Have to be men of faith, fearing God, and men of character and integrity, honest men, trustworthy. That aren't going to take a bribe. Those are your two key criteria, Moses. God-fearing and men of integrity, and put them in charge. As I guess we would say, like middle managers, right? So as I uh, studied this text, or then he says this, um, to wrap it up. He says, if, if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. In other words, he's saying, Moses, if you'll put this into practice like I'm suggesting, not only are you going to get to see your wife and kids and go on vacation sometimes, but you are also Going to serve them better. They are going to be more satisfied. Their needs are going to be met if you will put this into practice. So, as I read this uh, way back, probably in college or maybe it was seminary, and I, and I read Jethro's plan and I thought it through, I honestly thought that Jethro went, took it a little bit too far. Okay, so a, a, a people, two million people, should there be a, a, a manager of thousands? No-brainer. Of course there should. You can't just go one to two million. There's got to be a, a manager of the thousands. And could you go down to a 100 or so and still have a manager and need one for that? Sure. And even applying that in the church, how many pastors are a pastor of a, a congregation of 100 or so people? That's very common. That made sense to me. But then he kept going. That, that was curious to me. And we, you need people, uh, you need them down to the 50s to subdivide them even down to the 50s, I thought, that's getting a little bit small. I don't know if we need that level. And then he went one, more, one step further, and the 10s. You need to have every, every 10 people needs somebody that will lead them and guide them and serve them spiritually. And I thought, oh, come on, that's, that's not even reasonable, much less doable or needed. Why would you go down to the 10s? But Jethro was on to something, and today now I realize it, and I truly believe it that that, that is true. What Jethro understood, and what is absolutely a fact, is that every person matters. Every voice needs to be heard. Every individual problem or struggle needs to be addressed. And a a person has to have the opportunity to be able to bring that up and talk about it with somebody. You do need to go down to life in the tens, because in in a group of 50, there are people who will not speak up. There are people whose needs will not be met, who will just be quiet about it, or who will be overlooked. You need to go down to the tens, is what Jethro teaches us. So what I would propose to you is this. Here's our big takeaway for today. Your best church life requires, and I, I, put, I chose that word intentionally, requires life in the tens. Your best church life requires life in the tens. If you are content to just gather weekly in this large group, that's great, it's important, it's needed, it's, I'd even say, essential. We sometimes call this the tap route. It's the most important route from which the other ones maybe even branch off of. But if this is all that you have, if you don't have life in the tens, you are missing out on something extraordinarily important. That God wants to give you. Now, it's not easy for us, especially in modern-day America, with our busy schedules and our individual housing, to connect with other people sometimes. Uh, If you have not been a member here that originally worshipped over there, it might be hard for you to connect with people. You might not know a lot of people or be close friends with many at this church. To help with that issue, we created something we call Life Groups. Life groups are home meetings where people can truly do life together in a group of 10, maybe up to 12, where you will be known individually and where you can pray for and know each other and share each other's problems and burdens. This is what we designed and invented because the vast majority of us struggle to make those kinds of connections otherwise. That's what life groups are all about. And life in the 10s isn't just something that was good for Old Testament Israel. Did you know that it's something that Jesus did too? You know his story, right? Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. He starts his public ministry. He's about 30 years old. He's got three and a half years before his resurrection or his death and resurrection. He's about to start this worldwide movement of, of connecting people back to God through his own sacrifice on the cross. So as he begins, what does he need to do? Well, obviously, he's got to gather about the 1,000 best people in Israel if they're going to get this out to the world, right? It's not what he did. Well, well, surely he's going to find at least a group of 100 and then send them out in his name. No. What did Jesus do? After his, after his baptism, the first thing Jesus does is he finds 12. 12 good men. No. 12 men... I don't even know how good they were. They they had some issues. But he found 12 men that were going to do life with him daily that he could know personally and invest in for three and a half years. And then after his resurrection and after he went back up into heaven, it was those 12 that were called apostles, which means ones who are sent, who went out in his name and the church rapidly multiplied from there. But that rapidly multiplying church did not lose its small roots. As the church rapidly grew larger, it continued to grow smaller as well. And that is recorded for us in the book of Acts. So let me share that with you as well. So we're going to see that what I just shared with you is also the New Testament model. It was in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, we read this. A description of the early Christian church. They, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and that just means that they devoted themselves to the the, the the New Testament, really, the teachings of Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples. He promised his disciples a special measure of the Holy Spirit. Those disciples, the apostles, went and taught all the people. For the first, I don't know, 10 years plus, there was not a written-down New Testament But there were these God-inspired apostles who were teaching the people. They devoted themselves to this teaching. Today we would probably just say the New Testament. And to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to doing life together. And to the breaking of bread, eating together, and communing together. And to prayer. This is interesting. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. Let me just pause there. This meeting together in the temple courts, I'm going to say was this. That was their large group gatherings. The temple court courtyards were enormous. They could hold thousands of people. So did the church get together and have large group worship? I think they did. I think that's what that temple court reference is all about, that um, they got together there. And that church did grow to thousands very, very quickly. On the day of Pentecost, we're told that Peter, after he preached, baptized 3,000 people in one day. So in one day, it became a church of our size, both campuses. That's incredible. And, and then as you read through the book of Acts, it says the 5,000 shortly after that, and, and that they were, were adding to their number daily. And then as you keep reading through Acts, it talks about the, the church multiplying, not just adding members. Some scholars would say that the church in Jerusalem, about 25 years after Jesus went back up into heaven... The church just in Jerusalem may have been well over 100,000 members. So what did they do? How did they meet? They met in the temple courtyards, large group, and they met in people's homes. It says they broke bread in their homes. How big were their homes? Not like ours. We're not talking 2,600 square feet. They were small homes. Would 10, 12 have fit? Maybe, yeah, probably. More than that? Nope not unless you were really, really rich. There weren't a lot of those in the early Christian church. They did not have buildings for about the first 300 years of the church's existence. Did you know that? That This was not a thing for the first 300 years of the church's existence. They met in the temple courts and outdoors. Um, So they met in people's homes also. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And... The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So much good stuff in there. So much that we can put into practice today. Like the early Christian church, do we need those large group gatherings? That's why we do them. Like the early Christian church, do we need gatherings in people's homes? And the answer is absolutely. When we gather here, we're gathering in rows. Did you ever notice that? We gather in rows. Which way are you all facing? (laughs) This way, right? But just as much as the rows, we need to gather in circles. If you have ever been in a life group and you gathered in someone's living room, you don't all line up and face the facilitator. You get in a circle in that living room and you face one another. If we want... Strong rows, we also need strong circles. And I don't know about you, but when I gather at a time like this, I almost always leave inspired. This lifts up my spirits. But if we want true life change, if we want to be transformed, we need life in the circles. This is inspirational, but life groups or doing life together with other Christians in a small group of 10, that's transformational. And there is biblical evidence for all of that. So, what does that look like? Life requires life in the tens, and there's three blessings I want to share with you. Life requires life in the tens, um, first of all, for firm faith. If we want our faith strong and to remain strong and to grow, it requires life in the tens. One of the reasons for that is that this is weekly, during Lent, maybe twice a week. But if we also have God's word in our homes, and if we are meeting with our life group at least weekly, that's yet another opportunity to grow in our faith. But I think the main reason that for a firm faith, we need life in the tens is that what happens here is necessarily general in the nature of the truth that we proclaim. We can't get specific. And if we did, you'd stop coming. If, if, I would, uh, if I'm preaching about something and I've got an application and I just randomly picked one person out and I targeted you and your problem and your need that we had talked about earlier, you would be really embarrassed and you probably wouldn't come back, right? Um, so this is necessarily general, but when we, when we get together in our life groups or in a small group, there it gets very individual and in particular. And we need that for a firm faith. So let me give you an example. Um, I can can and I do, and everybody, every week, from this stage, from this pulpit up here, We preach to you, we proclaim to you, we encourage you, we inspire you with the truth. And the truth of God's grace is that you are a forgiven and redeemed child of God. Your sins are all forgiven, they were taken to the cross. There, the Son of God bled and died and took your guilt and your shame and he redeemed you, he forgave you, he united you to God. You are destined for eternal life with him and you've got meaning and purpose for your daily life now go in peace and you feel inspired and you feel great, that's awesome, that is a good and needed message until you come to church feeling especially guilty or shameful. There's something in your head that sometimes might push back and say, that's that's all great, that's all awesome, pastor, good for these people, but you don't know what I did. You don't know how I've messed up. You don't know the sin I keep falling back into. In fact, nobody does. You don't know the struggle I face. You don't know the shame that I feel. The abuse that was given to me, it was years ago, but it still haunts me, and I, I still struggle thinking that I'm worth anything because somebody hurt me really bad. And I, So I, I, that's great what you proclaim up there, but I just don't know if it's for me. That's the nature of the large group gathering. But if you would say that very same thing in your small group, where you have some trusted friends that you've built up over time, some trust, some transparency, and you say that very same thing to them, like, I don't know if I'm forgiven because I keep falling back into this sin. I did this horribly shameful thing and I can't even believe I told you guys I'm turning three shades of red right now, but now you know. Or the shame that I feel because of this person and what they did to me. And then your, your friends in your group they can apply the same truth to your particular individual situation friend that's you can say friend that's that thing you just confessed and admitted that's why jesus came that's exactly why we need a savior god so loved you yes even you i know you're feeling the shame and guilt but god loved you that he sent jesus I want you to think about this right now. That thing you're, you just confessed, it's like this ugly blob of black that is disgusting. I want you to picture right now Jesus taking it from you. It's not yours anymore. Jesus took it on himself and he went to the cross and he bled and died for that. And he took it away and it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, it's never coming back again. You're forgiven. You are loved, brother or sister. You're right with God. I just want you to know your Heavenly Father isn't looking down at you right now, red-faced and angry, ready to crush you. He's smiling on you. He is embracing you. In fact, I want you to feel that right now. Can I give you a hug? Is that different? (laughs) That's really particular, isn't it? You need life in the tens, in order to have a firm faith so that God's word of truth and grace can be applied to you individually in your exact circumstance. Second thing, it's somewhat similar, but fantastic friendships. You need life in the tens for fantastic friendships. So I would suggest to you that you, you can and should have friends that aren't Christians, that are that are outside of your church. But your best friends will necessarily be Christians. They are the ones who know God's grace and truth, and they can speak his truth to you in your circumstance. And this is why we heard what we heard in Romans chapter 12 earlier and why so many places in Scripture, I've counted like between 40 and 60 times that phrase, one another and each other. That's why it's there for these fantastic friendships, that you have friendships where you can... Confess sin to one another and forgive one another and and bear with one another and teach one another and sometimes admonish one another if, if if we're out of line, somebody to admonish us and to pray for one another and to bear one another's burdens. Does that sound like good friendships? For fantastic friendships, we're going to be doing life in the tens. And when you do you get the individual support that you need. We already talked about the faith side of it, that God's faith can be applied to you individually and particularly. Uh, Your spiritual needs will be met. Your physical needs will be met as well. That's something we don't really think about much. Uh, But it was true in the early church. Remember that? We read that in Acts chapter two just now. That that when somebody realized somebody needed something, people would sell stuff and help them. Oh, yeah, you can't do that though. You're just going to enable people and people are going to become moochers and yeah, they're probably just deceiving. That doesn't happen when you are doing life in the tens because you know them. You know their circumstance if they're mooching or not. And if they're mooching, you're going to confront them with their sin and admonish them because you're doing life in the tens. But if they have a genuine need, you're going to know that because you're doing life in the tens. And then you're going to joyfully and cheerfully sell some stuff to give to them because you know they really need it. And they're going to be blessed and you're going to be blessed as you show the love of Jesus. Or maybe you're the one with that physical need and they will provide for you. How many times have people been provided with a meal from somebody in their life group because they were too emotionally drained from what they were going through in their life or going through a trouble or some problem and a meal was provided. That physical need was met because of life in the tens. But not just spiritual, not just physical, your emotional needs are met as well. You remember uh, what we read? Uh, it's, it said that they were glad. Um, they were glad, with glad and sincere hearts they met, praising God. Glad and sincere, does that sound like a heart filled with anxiety and depression and worry? No. They knew each other. They encouraged each other. I don't think that was a problem in the early Christian church because they did life in the tens. And finally, this one's probably obvious, your your relational needs are met as well. I, I think so many people today, in fact, studies show like three quarters of people report that they are lonely in some measure. Even some people in families or married, they still report that they are lonely. If you are doing life in the tens, you're not, you're not lonely anymore. Your relationship needs are met as well. So, you need fanta- for fantastic friendships, you need life in the tens. And the truth is, uh, we need people. And this is, this is a, a fact. This is the truth. And it's something that is reflected in this awesome song that we're about to sing. So I'm having the praise band come back up here. Um, I've got a a couple more points I want to share after they sing. But um, there's this wonderful Christian song about the importance of everything that I've just shared with you. Uh, A song uh, whose lyrics underscore everything we just heard. They celebrate the value, this song celebrates the value of true friendships. Where individuals can be their true selves, share their deepest secrets and find comfort and empathy in difficult times. So let's uh, listen to, or if you want to sing along, We Need People.
1: Just sit. you call
0: We need people for a firm faith. We need people for fantastic friendships. There's one more blank I'd like you to fill in. Uh, We need people to save more souls. We need people. We need life in the tens in order to be able to save more souls. The truth is that growth in the early Christian church largely happened because people witnessed the love that Christians had for one another. And that's what Jesus himself said. People will know that you are disciples, you are my disciples, when you love one another. People saw they, they help each other. They love each other. They sell stuff for each other. They pray for each other. They encourage each other. I don't know what those Christians believe, but I got to find out. They must have a pretty awesome God if that's how they are moved to love one another. And as we do the same, we're going to watch our church grow. We need life in the tens if we're going to have our best church life. So there was a, a member of our church that that has experienced this, and a lot of you have as well, but um, last week, a, a pop who is a member of our, our core campus, she was, she was feeling pretty depressed and down for several days. Uh, she, she wasn't able to pull herself out of it. She tried to for a while. She even prayed on her own, but she couldn't get there, so she finally texted some of her church friends at the core, she said, Hi, friends. I'm sorry to bother you at this time of night. I need some prayers to lift up my spirit. I've been feeling heavy for the last few days. If you could help, it would be very much appreciated. That short text. And that's what happened. She got those responses immediately. Absolutely, Pop. For sure, Pop. The whole Martin clan will be uh, praying, uh, sending up a storm tonight. Definitely. Sending prayers your way, Pop. Tasers will be praying for you, too. I love that you reached out, Pop. I'm praying for you now. Prayers uh, came the next morning as well. Praying for you this morning too. Somebody had been in bed already at 8.32 p.m., so 4.30 a.m., that reply came. We'll be praying for you as well, Amiga. Seven different people replied, and I counted eight heart emojis, I believe. She got the support that she needed at the needed time, and I I reached out to Pop, and I I asked her, why did you text those people? She said, in our first uh, life group, Pastor Mike encouraged us to share and to pray for each other. We were really hesitant to join the group at first, but now I'm so glad we did. Everybody I reached out to was from the core. These were her church friends, are her church friends. And what was her response to friends like these? This is where I discovered it, because Pop, in response to all of this, posted something on Facebook, her public Facebook page, where hundreds, probably thousands of people saw it. Did I mention Pop is from Thailand originally? All of her friends and family back in Thailand saw this post that said this. She said, have you ever cried so hard by yourself because you realized how blessed you are? I have, and it happened to me today. I've been feeling discouraged in the past few days. I couldn't get my spirits back up even after prayer. It's been hard until I reached out to my friends last night and I asked them to pray for me. And these screenshots are the messages that I got from them. I'm so touched. She went on and said, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Today I realize that I have way too many blessings to count. Even when it gets hard, I know God's always listening. I deserve nothing. I was blind to see my blessings, but thanks to all the prayers, he answered them. I'm so thankful for such amazing friends as you guys. Pop does life in the tens, and when she needed it most, her friends were there for her, and they supported her, and they prayed for her. And did you see what else happened? The second thing. Pop put this public on her Facebook page. Do you think people saw that and said, wow, I don't have friends like that. I really need friends like that. I wonder, I wonder how Pop got friends like that. I think I'm going to have to ask her some more questions. Do you think she's going to have an opportunity to witness a bit more in the next week or three or ten as people respond to that? I, I think she will. To save more souls. We also need life in the 10s. So I hope I've convinced you today. Uh, quick write down your takeaway. What is your next step? What are you going to do? Life groups are still open. There are still some open slots available. Not too late to join. Starting point might be your next step if you're pretty new to uh, 922 Ministries here. You can talk to me after the service if you want. Get a, get into starting point yet. Maybe it means that you're going to start meeting with a group of friends once a week for, for coffee from now on or every Thursday evening or Friday evening start getting together regularly with somebody, but whatever your next step is, commit to it now. Your best church life requires life in the tens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the way you created us. You did not make us independent with all of the gifts. You made us dependent upon you and interdependent on one another. Help us to recognize this fact, this truth, and to commit today to doing life together in the 10s. It is definitely the way you intend to bless us, support us, and encourage us in this broken world and strengthen our faith in you. So bless us and our large and growing church and help us to continue to grow smaller so that we don't lose the personal connection with one another. Bless us to this end in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.